This is the Life School Podcast, episode number 202. And today, we're going to discuss how to do church discipline with love and purpose, instead of like handing people over to Satan. Welcome to the Life School Podcast, where each week you'll learn how to live with greater intentionality and an integrated faith that naturally fits into every area of life. This is the stuff that your parents, teachers, and pastors forgot to tell you. I'm Heath Hollinsby, here with your host, Caesar Kalinowski. Wow, man, I can't believe it that we're almost to the big game. I know, right? It's going to be great to see the Bears win. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have the gift of prophecy? Because by the time this airs, so we're, re- we're recording a couple of these early, but by the time this airs, yeah. there will be a winner, and we don't know who that winner is. Wouldn't it, be, it can't end in a tie. No, there will be a winner. Patriots or Rams, uh, this is where we're going to, our listeners, we can... They're gonna test our gifts of prophecy or lack there, <laughs> or lack thereof. Who do you who do you think is gonna win the game? You know, I, I think the Rams are gonna do it. I'm and I'm gonna go Patriots. Like the, like they always they always. I mean, do. the guy's got five rings now. It's crazy if he hits you in the head. You know, it's like boom. You know, what's funny is uh the Saints should have won it. And I saw this tweet the other day. I don't know if you watched the bad rushing call that is talked about. Yeah. But this tweet was perfect. It says, "When God rescued a saint, He provided a sacrificial ram." When the NFL rescued the Rams, they provided sacrificial saints. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> like, well played. Wow. I'll have to Church back up and play that a few times today, yeah. right? You know what else is interesting is you've got, like, one of the oldest coaches in the NFL who yeah. is actually coaching in the NFL already by the time that the Rams coach was born. Really? Yeah. I didn't know. Yeah. Rams is the youngest, right? Yeah. And I heard the Rams head coach is younger than— He's, like, 14. Than... He's in high school. Not even quite high school. He's 36, <laughs> man. He's young. He's younger than— the... Anyway, the ladies are all tuning out. Enough on football— <laughs> No, that's not fair. That's Enough not true. Them. That's not even true. Anyway, I don't know. You're so I'm going Patriots. I don't, I don't want them to win though, because it's uh, five times is enough. I'm going to pull for Rams, cheap. but I think they're going to win. So, well, Alrighty. we'll see if we'll see who wins that of uh, the gift of prophecy. All here. right, any cool reviews coming in? Yeah, we actually had a great review come in uh, this week. It came in from Brian Jennings, 33, who said, "Life School is a brilliant resource. It's shaped my mind, motivated me to seek new ways to love my neighbor. It's fun and engaging." You won't be sorry if you give it a try. So, Brian Jennings, well, thank thanks. you. Well, thanks. You guys are probably thinking, like, oh, they only read the good ones. Hey, man, we only get good ones. Yeah. <laughs> we did, I was just saying, we got one one star. That just Oh, uh, wow. It's that, a zinger. I love those. Yeah. One of my books, like, I got, like, a one or something star yeah. review on Amazon. It was actually so accurate. It was, like, the guy completely missed the point, and then he went on to describe why. And I was like, but that's exactly what the book's about. So it was, like, my favorite review. <laughs> So That's it awesome. can happen. <laughs> hey, so today we're talking about church discipline, right? Do you have any hey, background with it? Happy. Well, I've been disciplined. Okay, so have I. I have. You but know. you've worked in a, in a large church in the past, and yeah. so there had to be standards with how to control rowdy rowdy members, right? Yeah, I don't, it's not even rowdy sometimes. I mean, I think, yes, I have. I've seen it. I've witnessed it. Um, I've done, I think I've seen it done pretty well, and I think I've and, and, and really accomplished some wonderful restoration and repentance and all that. And I've also seen it done icky where you go, whoa, 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 wait a second. Why would we ever, that's not the love of Christ. What like, and then, you know, there's a lot of proof texting and a lot of verses being pointed to. And it's like, yeah, but that's not what that means at all. It's like, well, that's what the elders, you know? So yeah, I've kind of seen, I've been, I've seen both sides of it. Um, I kind of have been on both sides of it. Some people listening know me well enough to know, like, oh, yeah, I was sitting there that one time, and that was, beep, kind (laughs) of bad news, yeah. You know, this episode actually came from, I was reading uh, a couple weeks back in Matthew 18, 
specifically on how to take steps if your brother sinned against you. And the bright moment that kind of clicked into my head for me was when Jesus actually said, you're supposed to treat them like a Gentile or a tax collector. And the aha moment was like, (laughs) how would Jesus want us to treat tax collectors? Yeah, exactly. So there it is, right? And there's there's some big things in that verse that are they're so I think apparent once you just stop to read them. Yeah. Instead of sort of taking the uh, too often cultural ex- culture, church culturally accepted like this is what we do, and it's like wait, well, yeah, but what does it say? And then of course, good hermeneutical work is like let's back up a little, sure, and let's go a little further just to see what's like see what what's was the kicking. context, you know? Because yep. you could take any thing in life or in scripture way out of context yeah. so so easily like, make it fit your agenda yeah yeah like you know wait here's the quote caesar said that he kissed my wife i'm like wait what you know <laughs> it's like well right before that i said she just made you a special cake you might want to just kiss my wife because she loves you and made you this cake for your birthday and everybody's going to get to enjoy it's like wait a minute pick and pull what you want yeah. to so so let's take a look at that passage in matthew that you're referring to it's matthew 18 15 to 17 yep. okay and by the way before we even get into this we're talking about church discipline today i want to say that the word discipline is the same root word and meaning as disciple hmm. mm-hmm Right, so when you discipline your kids, really the goal is to disciple, disciple them. them yeah. Yep, and that should tell us something right away. That, like, by the way, it doesn't even say church discipline in Matthew eighteen, but we have called it the big church discipline, you know, thing. Sure. But Jesus is, by the way, in this passage, he's talking to his disciples, and he's teaching them about dealing with other disciples or brothers and sisters here. Okay. So, and and it's not a witch hunt of anything. He's talking about, hey, when you think you've been sinned against. Sure. So it's not like, hey, become the sin police. And then, like, approach everybody, and then if they don't agree, take someone out. You know, so, okay? So I want to start off first, though, again, again, I'm going to take my own medicine by reading the verses just before this passage to see what Jesus was talking to his disciples about. So Matthew 18, right? So we'll start in verse 12. He goes, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep, so it's a parable, and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? Hmm. And if he finds it, truly, I tell you, he is happier about the one sheep than about the 99 that didn't wander off, in the same way your Father in Heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Hmm. So like, what do you hear in that passage? Just that, like, this is a parable. We've all heard it before about the 99 sheep and the one that got away, right? But what do you hear in there? What's the heart of God? This is what Jesus is talking about right as he tips into this. Like, okay, so you got that? He's pursuing, right? He's pursuing the one. Pursuing the one for the purpose of what? Yeah, restoring him back to the fold. Yeah, get him, get him back home. Yeah. And he's actually more stoked about that than the other 99, meaning I'm not so much worried about what the other nine were thinking or doing. Yeah, you know? exactly. And sometimes we're so worried about, like, oh, if I don't, you know, or if we don't do this, like, right or something, everybody's going to think we're soft as leaders or whatever. Jesus is going, uh, like, do you see the heart of this? Hmm. There's one, God's heart is that none would be lost. Go after him, right? Go yeah. after him to restore that's, you know... Not to, to beat them. Right, <laughs> exactly. So now we can look at this this passage, and uh, it's very often quoted and misused. So starting in 15 then, Jesus goes on, if your brother or sister sins against you... Now remember, sin is always unbelief. Scripture teaches that. We've talked about it over and over on the show. Sin is unbelief in what's true about God, right? believing a lie about God, that leads to sin, that leads to us living like believing something false about a brother, about ourselves, and then living out of that lie. So that's what sin is throughout all of Scripture. So we have to map that onto that right there. So if a brother or sister sins, and the implication here is against you. Sure. And in fact, some versions say against you. 
So it's not a witch hunt. It's just, hey, if you think that because of unbelief about God or about what he says is true of you or that person, person sins against you, go and point out their fault, their unbelief. Just between the two of you, Jesus says. Hmm. And now if they listen to you, you've won them over. I mean, sometimes that's all it takes. Like we call that gospeling someone's heart, using our gospel fluency to help them see like what the unbelief behind their action was. Like, hey man, I think you might've been believing this about me and maybe this about God and oh, let's work on that. Let's sure. clean that up. Now, if they listen to you, you've won them over. Verse 16, but if they won't listen, take one or two others so the, along with you to go talk to that person so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses and that every matter established by the testimony of two or three witnesses comes in quotations. It's referencing sort of Old Testament way of dealing with things too, okay? okay. So it's saying, hey, if a person won't listen to you, um, maybe if you take some other people that they know and trust, so this isn't like strangers, sure, two or three witnesses, because remember, he's talking to his like group of disciples, okay? He says, now, if they re- still refuse t- to listen, tell it to the church. That means go to a wider circle. Now, remember, it, the church is people. The church is not a building or it's not a church service. There sure. weren't any of those in Jesus' world at that time. So when he says, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church, he's saying, well, then you might need to let others kind of be warned, you know, sure. so to speak. And if they still refuse to listen, even to the church, even to everybody else in your community, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. <laughs> and like you said there, and it's it's brilliant. It's the heart of it. It's the heart of that passage right before it with the 99 sheep and the one that got away is how would you treat a pagan, which is commonly a word that we commonly refer to people who are outside of the faith, outside yep. of belief, far from God or whatever. Or in, <laughs> he's even throwing a tax collector on there, which like you could be a tax collector in Jesus time, <laughs> Matthew, yep. and still be with Jesus. So I'm, you know, Matthew's sitting there listening to this. Yeah, he's he's like, got to be oh, going gosh. gulp, right? <laughs> you know, maybe it's even a wink. I'm sure. seriously, it might even be a wink nudge, right? Because <laughs> like some of the other disciples did not like the fact that Matthew was hanging around sure. in fact we don't know what was going on behind this and maybe there was a bit of a rift going you know we don't know right yeah. but how are we supposed to treat unbelievers <laughs> like like they're part of the family that is we treat them home. like family we treat yeah. them with love yeah. with patience what's going on here is like for me to go and speak to someone who's like not a believer doesn't know the word of god doesn't know christ and expect them to act like a Christian, to expect them to to live in light of the truth about who God is when they don't know him right. is ridiculous. It's unfair. I think we do that often as Christians. We expect, you know, we, we're like just horrified that someone doesn't like go along with what Christianity says. It's like, yeah. but they don't know that. Why would they? Yeah. They're going to go with what the flesh feels best and, Absolutely. What, you know, fear and of man issues and protect themselves. So so what, what's, what Jesus is saying here is, hey, if you've tried to help a person out of their sin, which is unbelief, and you and a few other people have done it, and even the whole community is now involved, and they still won't do it. Stop treating them like they are a believer, and they get it. Yeah. Treat them like you would treat a pagan, which is like, oh, you know what? They don't understand this. We got to back way up in the story now. Sure. We got to go way back. They don't know the heart of the Father. They don't know what he's now, he's created them in his image, what he says is true of them, the authority and privilege they now live with, his love, his sacrifice for them. They don't know any of that. That's how you have to treat them. Yeah, man, this sounds so different than uh, a lot of what I've heard about church discipline. I mean, I I remember having some friends in Southern California that went to a church, and they would like publicly point out in the middle of their service, and the pastor would call them out and say, you're not welcome here, and they'd usher the people out the back door. It's just just such a bad bad. reading. And you know, the, the one thing when it comes to church discipline is that it's really common for us to even add the passage... So you take the passage from Matthew 18, but then you pull this really quick tag from 1 Corinthians 5, 
they hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so his spirit might be saved on the day of the Lord. Right. We talk about like we kind of combining verses as those a... together. <laughs> yeah. Jesus is talking one time. 30 years later, Paul's speaking to... Yeah, so let's look at that because, okay. you know, what do you think's happening here? What the heck does it mean to turn someone over yeah, to Satan, okay? <laughs> so here's what's going on in 1 Corinthians 5 and why it's really a completely different thing, okay? Yep. I, I mean, I'm not saying it could never be related, but, but what... Paul, Paul's talking to believers here, okay? So Jesus was talking to his disciples. At that point, some were not yet believers. We know that, okay? Sure. But he's saying, here's how you deal with it. And boy, if someone is just, you know, in the fold but not acting like they get it and you've tried all you can, treat them like a pagan. Treat them like an unbeliever. Like, love them. Be patient. Back way up. <laughs> you know, yeah. don't assume that they're going to get it. Don't put them into leadership. Don't, you know, don't put them in charge of stuff. Like, you know, right? Sure. Now, Paul is, is addressing... Um, the Corinthian church here, and I'm going to kind of just run through this real quick because this isn't the main point of our thing today. But um, And thanks for some help on this, John Piper. I appreciate it. He's wicked smart on this. Um, yep. Paul's addressing the Corinthians, which is a sinful group of immature believers as a whole. So okay. it's a letter to the whole church going like, whoa, some stuff's really gone bad. He's, he's calling them out on their immorality and their pride connected to being so tolerant with someone who's in an incestuous relationship. Sure. You ever hear of churches like that today? They're so stoked about their tolerance that they tolerate sin. Yep. And there's not just love the person, but like, no, it's okay now. We yeah. won't want to make anybody feel bad. So it's, yeah, we'll, we'll almost celebrate. Yeah. It. So they're yeah. kind of prideful about that. They're like, aren't we great? You know, aren't, isn't it great that we're so tolerant? And so Paul's going, no. And, and it and it may be that simply putting a person out of the community is the same as handing him over to Satan, right? That's sure. what Paul says to do. But I don't think so. When Paul says at the end of verse four with the power of the Lord Jesus, hmm. I think he shows us something more is going on here. Yep. Something that takes the power of Jesus to actually perform. So Paul did it, did it at least one other time that we know about in First Timothy one twenty. He said, I handed over, I can't even pronounce their names, uh, Hymenaeus and Alexander to Satan so they might be taught not to blaspheme. Hmm. So like, what do you mean? He physically like called up Satan and said, hey man, I'm handing him over to you. No, what's going on? What seems to be happening here is something like what happened in the book of Job. Okay. okay, and there's some evidence that that's what's, that's what's being referenced here, because it's the same language. There's only one other place in the Bible outside of Paul's letter where we hear the handing someone over to Satan language, hmm. and those words occur in Job 2.6. Okay. Now, after that, when that's said about Job, the next verse says, Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, and he smote Job, and it means he crushed him, with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Now, the result of God's gracious purpose, what's going on there? It's way later in the book, Job 42. We see, now my eyes see you, O Lord, and I despise myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. He, hmm. what's, he, what's he despising about himself? My unbelief that you were good, what was true about you all along, and how you viewed me in my life and all the blessings I had. So Satan became the means under which God's sovereign control, he used it to purify Job's heart and bring him closer than ever to God. Wow. And then he poured crazy blessing on him, right? So in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul describes, like this is sort of further proof, he describes his own thorn in the flesh as a messenger of Satan. Sure. Which, what, like Satan showed up and put a thorn in his foot, like, you know, like yeah. in the cartoons when the lion gets a thorn in his paw. No. <laughs> so he's saying it's like a messenger of Satan, which God appoints for Paul's humility and Christ's glory. Verse 7 says, to keep me from exalting myself. Therefore, I was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. That means to slow me down, yeah. <laughs> to sort of hinder me, you know, my progress, to keep me from exalting myself. That's exactly what we see with Job. So when Paul prayed that Jesus would take it over, you know, take his thorn away, the answer he got was, my grace is sufficient for you. 
Hmm. for power is perfected in weakness. So notice that the one who's in control in all these cases, whether the messenger, Satan, or whatever, stays or goes, it's Christ. God's in control. And this is why it's so significant in our text here, verse 4, when Paul says that, you know, about handing someone over to Satan, it's with the power of the Lord Jesus. See, we don't have the power to change anyone. Sure. I can't even change myself, right? Or the authority to do change someone else. So Paul's hope is that the result of handing over this man to Satan will be the salvation of his spirit the day of Christ. In other words, Paul's aim, and, I, and I'm going to suggest our aim in, quote, handing someone over to Satan, is that that maybe some striking misery in their life will come in such a way that they'll say, much like Job, wow, my eyes have now seen the Lord, the truth of who he is, and despise myself and my all my own strivings to be my own God and all that and repent, right? Yeah. So if, if let me just say, if someone in your community is very obviously guilty of gross sexual sin and you've tried speaking with them about it and about the truth of who God is and you've done this, because remember that Matthew 18 came way before 1 Corinthians. Sure. Okay? So if you've tried all that, you've gone personally and then with another couple of brothers or sisters, and then the wider circle of your, you know, the community you do life with. Uh, and, and, and they're just not believing who God is and who he has made them to be and live, and it has not helped or caused them to repent, then it m- seems maybe in this type of situation, like Paul's saying, it's okay for us to kind of hope, in fact, that something hard is going to happen in their lives to make them turn their heads and their hearts and their perspectives back to truth. I mean, yeah. I have family members, okay, I'll just be honest with you, who are addicts, And I can recall times where our family has prayed for them to hit rock bottom, just to hit super rock bottom, Hmm. you know, have hard times in their life, but that God would spare their life so they might then at that point look up and see Jesus and begin to realize the truth. So that's what Paul's doing in that, in that verse there. Clearly what he's, he's not, you know, how do you hand them over to Satan? Is like, you now ignore them. No, you have to take Paul's words in light of the words of Jesus. Yeah, exactly. You have to. You know, we always, pretty- always, always have to read Paul and everything else through the lens of Jesus. In fact, some stuff I've been reading lately is like read the whole Bible through the lens of Jesus and what he's accomplished, and it's going to get so much more beautiful and powerful and happy and all of that. So. Like one thing you said that I mean, I want to just say it again because it was so good. I've never seen this. Is that is that in the situation of Job, Satan became the means under God's sovereign control of purifying Job's heart. And bring him closer than ever to God. So yeah. this mindset, like turn him over to Satan, let him let him burn. Like no, like no, no, no. It was never for. It the was purpose actually for of the that. pursuit of Satan being the the mechanism that brought Job closer to God. Oh, that's crazy. So turn him over to Satan. That's right. And when I when I read this in light of what Jesus said, so do this as community in with friendship. And remember again, it was like well, go to the church. He never meant to the church service. Sure. Because if you're going to say that, then you have to go capital C church, which means the whole entire universal church, which means what you have to now contact yeah. 25, 50, 100 million people or something. You know, that yeah. can't mean that. So, and, and also, we look at the word discipline, and it means discipleship. And discipleship is that process of moving from unbelief to belief. That's area, the yeah. goal. That's always the goal. So, read Paul in that one really weird, rare instance, in light of what Jesus said, and connect it back to the same language being what happened with Job, and I think we get a pretty good idea what's going on there. So what would you say, like, a healthy and even a helpful approach would look like? How do you, how do you healthy embrace a person who's wronged you, as we've talked about a little bit earlier? Yeah, so I really like that passage, okay? I think it's, it's everything we need there, but I like the message version of that passage that we looked at in Matthew 18. I think yeah. it shows us a more realistic and helpful approach to sin and unbelief. Uh, so let me just read that, okay? It'll sound kind of familiar, but a little bit tweaked, and I love it. Uh, he says, if a fellow believer hurts you, go and tell him. Work it out between the two of you. 
If he listens, you've made a friend. If he won't listen, take one or two others along so that the presence of witnesses will keep things honest. And try again. Hmm. If he still won't listen, tell the church. And he doesn't mean the church service. He's saying, tell, like, tell others in your community. So we're talking about missional communities here, yeah. which is most often, right? And if he won't listen to the church, you'll have to start over from scratch. <laughs> Confront him with the need for repentance and offer again God's forgiving love. Oh, it's so good news. It's so good. So, like, if you're just like, man, like, if I'm coming to you, Heath, like, Heath, I don't know if you know this, but when you when you did that or when you said that, that really hurt me, and I've kind of said it did before, but you still can continue to do it, and, and I, man, let's talk about what we're not believing here, what you're not believing about God and truth, and maybe sure. what you're not believing to be true about me, and I'm just like, no, and I won't repent, meaning change my mind, that's what that word means about change my mind about it, meant no, um, then offer again God's forgiving love. Hmm. So I don't know if I can forgive you right now, brother, but I am going to offer you God's forgiving love because Jesus already died for you on the cross. Yeah. So that sin against me, I am going to I am going to sort of chew on it and process through it, sure. even though you're not repenting yet. I'm going to chew on it in light of the fact that Jesus died to forgive it, and it is forgiven. Hmm. And I'm also a sinner. Yeah. So I got a whole bunch on that same list of sins that I've not yet seen repented of, sure. changed my mind about, and they're still forgiven too. So now... Wow. Let's quickly, let's look at the other bookend that Jesus gives us for how to see and understand this teaching. Because okay. right after those passages on dealing with a hurt or sin against you, sure. Jesus answers a question from one of his disciples, right? Here's yep. impetuous Peter, always right, off to the dash. I always got the answer, <laughs> quick, boom, right? Then Peter, it says in verse 21, came to Jesus and asked, he's kind of like, well, wait a minute, right? It's kind of, you kind of see it here. Like, sure. wait a minute, Jesus, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. And he's trying to give an absurd, you know, absurd yeah, he number. Wants, he wants law. Yeah. Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77. Or some verses, or some translations go 70 times seven, yeah. which is more than 77, which kind of is meant to be like, infinity. Yeah, just keep doing it. <laughs> yeah. So we see from Jesus here, the goal and hope of any discipline slash discipleship, I'll say, is love and forgiveness which is exactly what God sent Jesus to show us and offer us. See how it's all in light of the big plan? And exactly what we now get to show and offer to others. Remember, too, it is rare that we don't also have at least some role in the situation. Sure. Where someone's hurt us or sinned against us. It's generally not like, I was just walking down the street, I was reading my Bible, sitting on a park bench, and... Heath just ran up and, you know, smacked you in poor the face. oil. Yeah, right. It's like, <laughs> so usually it has something to do with language, conversation, uh, backbiting, gossip, right? So, but we usually have some part in something. So a good starting place before you approach a person is to humble ourselves and seek that person's forgiveness before approaching them about their sin. Mm-hmm. Like if there's any part of it where the spirit taps you and goes, you know, I, I know that that was like kind of small in your mind compared to theirs. God doesn't rank sin. Just go and humble yourself. God exalts the humble. Like go and humble yourself and seek their their yeah. forgiveness before approaching them about their sin. And I think you'd be surprised what will happen right after that. <laughs> I really do. So you don't start off by quoting scripture, you know, out of context, the sure. other person. I don't want to have to turn you over to Satan. <laughs> <laughs> Stay humble. And the one thing that we remember, the one thing we have most in common with that other person is our own ability to sin and our need for Jesus. So yeah. we're right there in need. So, you know, what? I'm going to say this uh, is that sometimes we, when we're writing out these shows, it's like, ah, this could be a throwaway. Will this be a great episode? And sometimes they just catch me off guard of like, man, this turned out so much better than I thought <laughs> the script looked like. And this is one of those episodes because if if we actually lived like this and pastors that listen to the show actually led churches where this was the the way we dealt with things, yeah, yeah, think about the witness that that would 
allow us to have. Well, and versus I think we get to, and I, yeah. and, and if anybody disagrees with this and please just, you know, jump on Facebook. If you're not in the group, join the group, just, you know, search up life school podcast in Facebook, yep. go join the group and think, well, I don't want to join the group just to disagree. No, no, you get to, it's how we learn. Right. Yep. But, I, but I'm going to challenge anybody listening to say like that. I twisted those scriptures. Yeah. I don't think so. I mean, I, I've, like I said, I've been through this on both sides of it. I've yeah. received it. I've had to deal, you know, church discipline. Yep. And I, I researched hard before this episode, and, I, and the gospel always wins, right? Love yeah. is huge. Absolutely. And so, yeah. All right, let's get to the big three. These are the big three, uh, if nothing else, the three takeaways that we want you to get from this episode. And if you're doing something and you've been jogging or you're dropping off kids or changing diapers and you can't write <laughs> anything great down from the show, uh, we're going to give it to you beautifully written out, and you get it for free by going to 123lifeschool.com forward slash big three. Again, that's 123lifeschool.com forward slash big three. Caesar, what are the big three takeaways uh, that we got for this week's episode? Okay, first thing, don't, don't miss this. Discipline in the church and in community is about discipleship and restoration. Hmm. Your goal is to help the other person move from unbelief to belief in the gospel. And it's always done in private first and only includes others after you've not been able to come to resolution with the other person. Beware of gossip here. Hmm. Like I've seen that too often. Sure. Like, you know, like, oh, the person's indicates, I'll talk to 85 people, and then they all say the same thing. Well, go talk to that person. Go talk to her. Yep. Okay? Include others that have observed the same sin in the other person when possible. That's the two people you want to take with you. And if you just, if they're not, and you've talked to the person, only bring other mature and trustworthy people. Okay. Right? So, like, right? Like, yeah. seek those people out, and that's where you might talk to an elder or someone like that in your church. Sure. Come Second one, uh, big three. God's desire is that none of us or anybody should be lost or stay outside of his family, hmm. right? We saw that over and over in there. It's like that lost, the, the one of the 99 sheep, right? Yeah. It's all that. It's the whole thing with Job even. God's like, oh, he wanted to enrichen his relationship with God. Second Peter 8, 8 to 9 reminds us, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. Hmm. The Lord's not slow to keep in his promise as some understand slowness and said he's patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Hmm. So be patient with others, just as the Lord's patient with you. God offers forgiveness, and it's way beyond 70 times 7. Amen. Okay. And the third thing, examine your own heart and actions in any manner before being quick to approach and accuse someone else of sinning against you. I, I can't tell you how many times I'm just like, man, when I see that guy, I'm going to, man, I'm going to wring that guy, his neck, you know? And it's like, sure. I'm going to show him where he was hurting me and such a sin, you know? But, but examine your own heart first, then go to that person in humility as a fellow sinner, someone who often acts out in unbelief and fear yourself, and start confessing anything that you need to own up to in the situation. Okay. Then try your best to explain to them why what exactly they've done or said hurt you and why you believe it's coming from a lie about God or you or themselves that they may not be believing the truth. Hmm. Be sure to pray for the Spirit's wisdom to guide you before, during, and after these circumstances and these conversations. Remember, the Holy Spirit, God alone, grants repentance unto salvation, freedom. Yeah, It's all His work. Do you, and that, as you're just saying that, uh, one of the things I was thinking of was back to episode 136, which is you know, a year and a half ago, and why we need to get to know the Holy Spirit. Yeah. This is a good one just to go, if we do this in our flesh, we can accuse wrongly, we can hurt we have to be we don't walking see our with own the spirit. Yep. part of it clearly. Like, yeah. start there. Yeah. So, one thirty-six. If you want to learn more about the spirit, uh, again, if you want the big three takeaways from this week, we will get them to you for free. And all you got to do is one two three lifeschool dot com forward slash big three. 
You'll get those right away. If you haven't joined the Facebook group, as Caesar said, you get to go to Facebook up in the search bar, type in Life School Podcast. We'll approve you to the group. And again, it's not just a place to come and talk about how how uh, how great the show is. If you've got questions or disagreements or pushback, we encourage that sort of conversation. We're hey, family. by the way, too, if you've uh, if you've not gone over to iTunes and subscribed. Uh, yep. Yeah, would you do that? Because that way, you know, you get a notification of the new episodes and you won't miss it. And that blesses us. Yeah. And if you leave a review, uh, honest review, give as much stars and loving as you can. Not only might, might we read this on air for you, oh, we will. but it also blesses us because we love hearing back from you. So both of these are ways for us to hear back from you and other people to know, hey, this is valuable. Yeah. So if you found value in this and paid zero for it, which is the case every week, yep. <laughs> then that's how you can bless us and sort of repay and pay forward the blessing is uh, go and subscribe and leave us a little review. Awesome. Hey, next week we're going to be talking uh, as we set up Valentine's Day. Uh, we're going to learn how to bring a little romance into our marriages. Guys, you're going to want to take notes on this one. I know yeah. this is somewhere I can grow for sure. <laughs> so join us next week as we talk about our Valentine's Day episode. How's that? Yeah. All right. Uh, be with us then. Thanks for joining us today. You can always get more information on this show by going to 123lifeschool.com forward slash podcast. <laughs>